Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 222. Blue, take off. Blue, take off. No, Red Rising. All right. Uh, hi, listeners. Welcome back. You may be able to tell from our intro what game we're talking about because we gave it away. <laughs> I think it's usually even easier to tell because it, it shows up at the title of the podcast, too. But just in case, we are going to be talking tonight about Red Rising from Stonemeyer Games. So it is ba- the game is based on a series of books, The Red Rising Saga by Pierce Brown. The first book was titled Red Rising. Mm-hmm. And so, so backstory, this is set in Mars. You don't need to know anything about the books in order to be able to play the game. In fact, I'm not even sure the game resembles the book too heavily because it sort of mixes in various things from across the first three novels and they can't really completely coexist. Like you've got the fleets, which is later once they're, you know, huge and all in control of their own fleets. But you also have the Institute, which is sort of like the battle Royale thing that they have for graduating from school. And they're not the same thing. So yeah, it's mostly just we've thrown in some random names and lookalikes and things like that. That being said, it is funny to me when the char- when my kids are playing this game, they've never read the whole books, but they'll pull it out and they'll be like, oh, this character likes this character. They must be in love. And they're just figuring this out because some characters want to be together or don't want to be together oh, really? with other characters, <laughs> and they're guessing it from the art and things like that. Like, completely accurate. <laughs> The art and the so, mechanics? Okay, so... Yeah, so, the art and mechanics, yes. Okay, so the theme is pretty well done, then. <laughs> well, I'm Your not, kids say so. Again. <laughs> I, I think that they've conveyed the characters. If yes. you have read the books and you've enjoyed the characters, then I think that they convey the characters. The plot, and to make you feel like you're at all involved, not really. <laughs> okay, well, so... At all... <laughs> So we're jumping around a little bit here. Let, give us a summary of this game, Julius. We are, yes. My apologies. So to begin with, I'm going to summarize the game a little bit less briefly. But, Albert, have you ever heard of the game Gin or Gin Rummy? Yes. Yes. So the basic idea in Gin Rummy is that you are dealt a hand of cards, and you are trying to draw cards and discard cards until you have runs or sets and essentially, you're trying to form your hand into the optimal hand. And when you get the optimal hand, you get to go down, you get to play it all out, and then theoretically, you will have won that round. This game works very similar with other stuff thrown in there. But you have a hand of cards, and over the course of the entire game, you are trying to draw cards and discard cards until you have the optimal hand that can give you the most amount of points. There are ways of getting other points across different other tracks and things, like being on the fleets or the sovereign token or the helium tokens or various different places can give you points. But primarily what you're doing over the course of the game is you're playing with those cards. And whoever has the best hand and the most amount of points by the end of the game is going to be the winner. Okay, you know, I did not get a sense of that so clearly from reading the rules. Yeah, because you really have to understand that what you're doing is really kind of like Jim 
mummy, where you have that hand that you're trying to isolate to be the best one possible. Gosh. Yeah. The, the, so the rule book says the game ends when a certain condition is made. And then, of course, I calculated. I, I couldn't figure I, you know, I didn't dig into deep because I don't have the game. But it, it, it just isn't clear. It isn't obvious. The way you said it makes so much more sense. I am now ready to play. Yeah, <laughs> that's really true because the game end and the scoring is just a matter of, hey, you, you guys have been doing this long enough. You've achieved various ways of scoring points. We'll just stop it here without really tying into sort of what is the main point of what you're doing, the main stuff you're looking at, which is those cards. So, yeah, but we'll get into that once we discuss gameplay, I think, more. Okay. The first thing I think we want to talk about is components, correct, Albert? Usually we do the rules, themes, and then components. Oh, you're right. I apologize. <laughs> I've Rewrite got a little that. list. I've got a list. So the first thing we want to talk about is then the rule book. Yes. Um, the rule book for the game is actually really good. I know that you're saying that you didn't really understand what the game was all about. Mm-hmm. but really when it gets into the gameplay it explains what you do it even yeah. says primarily what you're doing most of the game is you're going to be leading you're going to deploy a card from your hand do the deploy action and then pick up another card from somewhere else on the board and, and do the location action and that's really the entirety of the game mm-hmm. is discard a card or play a card draw a card and you keep doing that until the various end game triggers have all triggered at that point in time. You'll total up cards and points and see whoever has the most and you win. I think the rules are pretty clear, both for the main game and for the Otoma. I didn't really have any issues in being able to understand it. I think that in general, the rules are pretty clear. I think that there are some edge cases that required a little bit of a fact to explain, like how exactly does this card work? And they're, our locations online to be able to go see those kind of things, but didn't really have any other issues with it. So I think the rules are pretty good in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand how to play the game. The, the play a card, draw a card thing is very clear. There's, there's that normal action. There's also another action where you don't play a card. You just draw a card and sort of thing. All that was explained very clear and it's very easy to understand. It sounded interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, it was that general concept that I didn't get. The You're just trying to get the best hand. Mm-hmm. That would have saved me so much trouble. I wish I had said that up front. That bugs me that I didn't get that. But yeah, so there you go. The rule book. It's well laid out. Everything looks great about it. Just that one little sentence missing at the beginning. Otherwise, it seems quite clear. And, Indeed. And looks pretty. So next you want mm-hmm. to talk about theme, but I think we've basically covered that at this point. We we have um, the theme doesn't really come in and all the stuff that happens in the game. You know, and this is interesting though because it's a it's a game based on a book and they're always so so risky. You know, like they're gonna be either it's gonna be a disappointment. Or it's gonna be really great. I think and, and it's hard to get that right. Yeah, and it, and mm-hmm. I read the book because Stone Jimmy Stegmeyer had said that it was a favorite book of his mm-hmm. and he enjoyed and recommended it so i read it on his recommendation i don't know that i greatly enjoyed it i thought it was a fine read but i wouldn't say that it's a it's a book that i really wanted to see a game about or anything like that 
So I'm I'm not particularly disappointed, but I didn't have high expectations to begin with. Gotcha. Yeah, and and yeah, I read that I guess it was in his blog or somewhere, maybe in in the rules somewhere that he was really excited about the the books when he first read them, and he tried to get a game license for it, but wasn't able to for years, and finally got it. So he's super happy about this. And so I found it interesting that it is such a abstract game based on that. And I guess I would imagine I would not. If I was tasked with writing, creating a game on something that I really, really liked a lot, like a story, I'd be hard pressed to, to figure out how to get it right without messing it up for everybody. Because that that would be something I'd be terrified of. I hear that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he, I don't know you know, that. he did an okay job. Your yeah, again, I mean, it came across for your kids. Right. They they were able to read the art and the mechanics and understand how the character's personality was being presented. So I think that's a fine way of doing it. I don't mm-hmm. think it has to be anything more. So, yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Is this a, a series of books that would be kid-friendly at all or no? Mm, probably not. Okay. <laughs> I think my kids would be bored. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. You said there's people liking each other. I mean, that... that... That's a turn off for most kids for some reason. <laughs> it's romantic. Uh, yeah, I I just don't think it's mm-hmm. something they're going to enjoy. Yep. I don't think it's not that it's there's issues of, you know, it's improper for kids. I just don't think my kids enjoy it. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to components. Components. Okay, so. There's a deluxe version of this and a basic version. Correct. There's a deluxe version and a basic version. So let me talk about what's in the basic version first. So in the basic version, both of them come with the same set of basic character cards and house tiles. So the house tiles are cards that are actually just on chipboards. They're thicker thicker cards, essentially, that you use to show what house you are, which is what color you are. Then whatever color you are, you get a fleet token, so a meeple ship, um, and some cubes in your color that all match your house. You're going to use those for tracking where you are on the various tracks on the boards. There's the cards, which are tarot-sized cards with big pictures of the different characters. And I know some people have commented that the that they look cartoony. Mm-hmm. I like the art style. I think that's a very nice art style. I, en- I enjoy it. I think it's a good way of showing it. I think that the book is grittier than the art style would present but I don't want to see a grittier art style. I think this is a fun art style to see. So I enjoy the art style, even if maybe it's a little bit of disconnect. So I just enjoy that. Uh, There is a metal sovereign token, which is a 10 point token at the end of the game. And there is a crescent moon uh, meeple in the basic version of the game. And then there's a small ish board, uh, that you use for keeping track of cards and where the various cards are, as well as a plastic container to hold the helium token. So the plastic container is a shaped, shaped plastic container that looks like a wolf. Um, mm-hmm. And it just holds a bunch of crystal tokens. Um, and that's essentially... Oh, and then there's a red rising die, uh, which is a large 14 millimeter custom die, uh, which rolls nicely. I think that all the components in the basic version of the game are actually quite nice. Um, okay. They are all perfectly serviceable. I think that the wood components look very nice. All of them are very easily distinguishable. And I would recommend actually the basic version over the deluxe. And here's why. 
So the deluxe adds a couple things. The deluxe adds, first of all, it adds some plastic card trays that you can use to hold your cards and it sets it up in a line. The problem with the card trays, it sets your cards up at a little bit of an angle pointing back and it has a curved bottom for the cards. It's not sharp. So the card trays are relatively light. So because they're tarot-sized cards, the cards are very tall, it's very easy to knock over those trays. So it doesn't make for very good holding the cards. So I actually went and installed some additional metal weights in the bottom of my trays, and then I realized, well, now, instead of knocking over the whole tray, I can very easily knock over one card because the card trays um, are curved on the bottom, so it's very easy for a card to slide up on that angle and slide off of the card tray and reveal <laughs> the card to everyone else. So while I appreciate having a card tray, more this just cemented from my in my mind that I should possibly buy some other type of card holders, some generic ones, to use anytime where I'm trying to play such a game or any of the other games in my collection rather than focus on these ones. So I just don't think that those card trays are the best designed. Additionally, and I think this is the bigger problem, and you've probably seen this mentioned in a number of places, there are six different colors that you have. There's yellow and gold, there's green and blue, and then there's red and purple. The colors, basically in those pairs, are really difficult to tell apart in the deluxe version. In the regular version, they used paint to make those differences. In the deluxe version, instead, they made everything out of metal. So they've ripped out all of the wood pieces, and they made it all out of metal. It's weighty metal. It feels nice. But the it's just anodized aluminum, and the colors just do not come out vibrantly. It is really difficult, for example, to tell green from blue in the metal tokens. Oh, wow, okay. It is really difficult to tell red from purple, and it is really difficult <laughs> to tell yellow from gold. They're very similar. And I know that Stonemeyer has said that for an additional $10 coming theoretically later this year, you're going to have the ability to purchase instead of anodized metal tokens, you can get some painted metal tokens. I'd say you probably, if you have the deluxe version, I'd say you probably need those. I know that you can tell them they are a little bit different. They just, they do not look clearly enough. And I think that essentially what Stonemeyer said when they had it brought up in the fact in their own published fact is that the tokens just, you have to stack yours in a pile that's yours and not confuse them. Heavens. If you drop all of them <laughs> and mix them all together, it's hard. That sounds. That doesn't sound like a, a good solution that they're offering. Honestly, like, sorry, it's not really that good. Just you know, be careful how you play. And oh, hey, we'll sell you an upgrade later on. Yeah, to upgrade. I I think that it was. I I think it was a. It was a misstep to make them look like that. I just don't think they look that nice. Mm-hmm. So I, had to... I would recommend over. I, so the other bonus that the deluxe does give is an insert. Mm-hmm. usually I really highly value inserts if it helps you play very quickly. Like it's a deck of cards and everybody gets normally a bag of tokens. Like the, the insert is not nearly so necessary for this kind of game. So I'd honestly recommend the, 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 the basic and <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I had this problem with uh, a couple years ago when they came out with a, an expansion for Viticulture. Do you remember the name of the expansion? It was a smaller one. And the cards were not the same size as the ones that came in the base game. So you couldn't really, sh- they're slightly different, like a millimeter longer or something. So you couldn't really shuffle them together, which is really annoying. And so their solution for that was, you know, buy some sleeves. Sleeve all your cards. Yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I find that a little frustrating. But yeah, I mean, I also understand why you got to do that. They can't just go and replace everything that's super expensive, especially for those metal components. I've got a question, though. The The box cover, I really like the art on the cover, but I have not found anything else. Did, did, did they get it, like an idea for that art from somewhere else in the series, or is it just their own interpretation of Red Rising? I think it's their own interpretation. I think, well, I mean, it's their own interpretation of some of the ideas of what's going on about how there's society and the shadow to it. Okay. I really like it. More offline if you prefer. Well, no, no. I mean, that's fine. Cause I thought it was an interesting question in general, you know, worth talking about. I really like it. I like it better than anything I saw for any of the books or anything. So I said, wow, that, that game box makes me interested in the subject. The books don't. <laughs> yeah. The book covers also. Really well done, I thought. I really like it. Yeah, it's it's an fabulously designed art. Like I said, I think that the art of the game is top notch. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's our components then. How about uh, our gameplay? So let's talk about the gameplay. Uh, so I think I mentioned that the basic idea you're going to be doing in the game, for almost the entirety of the game, you're going to be doing every round, every turn, you're going to be doing a lead action. So most of the cards have a deploy ability on them which when you do the lead action, what you can be doing is you're going to be playing the deploy card out to the board and it does some ability for you. I don't know, lets you move on the fleet track if you do a specific thing or discard cards or exile cards or give you helium or some specific thing. So you deploy it. You play it out to one of the four different areas on the board and then you can choose to pick up, or you you should, pick up a car from one of the four areas, one of the other three areas, or from the deck. And then you get to do the location ability of whichever area you picked it up at. So, for example, if you went to Mars, you'd be able to pick up a Helium. As soon as you've done that, your turn is over. So, theoretically, if you're looking at the cards in your hand and sort of like thinking, I know which ones are, are high-value ones and which ones synergize you'll be able to do that. When you start the game, you start the game with five cards in your hand. So you only have one out of five choices that you have to make. So theoretically, it's generally easy enough to say, hey, this one's giving me 20 points right now and can tie together with some of these. And these other ones are giving me less or harder to use or can be deployed successfully. And you can send those ones out. There is a little bit of push and pull with those cards, though, because all the cards, in addition to having a deployability, also have a scoring ability. At the end of the game, when you whatever cards you have in your hand will score based on whatever specific function are. So some cards will, for example, give you a base of five points and then 15 more points if you have the highest on the Institute track or if you have the most helium or if every one of your cards starts with a different letter or all sorts of different things everyone's unique Mm -hmm. so most of the cards have sort of a push and pull because their deploy conditions 
help facilitate their scoring conditions. But on the other hand, if you're deploying them, then they're not in your hand to be able to let you use those to score. So you almost feel like the most optimal thing to do would be to deploy the card and then next turn pick it back up again and just sort of alternate mm-hmm. between those two. If it's still there. Because it sort of maximize it yeah. for you. If it's still there, exactly. Deploying it out, another person would be like, hey, that's a pretty good card. I'm going to go ahead and take that. So you just have to put it out and maybe it'll be there. But if you don't deploy that card, well, for example, the one that, just as an example, there's one that you have to have the most helium. Well, that's the one that gives you the easiest way of getting helium or depriving the other players of helium. So if you're not deploying it, it's probably not going to be worth a lot of points for you because you're not using it to get helium. So it's kind of a push and pull, and you have to look at the various cards in your hand and see which ones synergize. Mm-hmm. Now, there are three main other scoring things. So the first is scoring with the whatever the points are in your hand. The other three are helium, the institute, and the fleet track. The fleet track is just whenever you can advance on it, you advance up a track. And the more times you advance on it, the more each advancing is worth. So, for example, the first time when you advance, it's worth an extra one point. The second time, it's an extra two points. So it says gives you a total of three. And then the next time, it's a total of three points. So it's a total of six so essentially, mm-hmm. the more times you do it, the more valuable advancing on it is, but it maxes out at 10. The Institute is a similar track, except that in that one, rather than just getting points for advancing, you're actually racing the other players. Whoever has the most times on the Institute that they've advanced is going to be earning the highest value for every cube they have in the Institute. So you want to have more than the other players in order to be able to maximize your value of it. So it's a race on that one. And then helium is just flat points. Every time you get a helium, you get three points, and you hold on to those to the end of the game unless you spend it on other cards or other effects and things like that. Um, those three ways of scoring are also the ways that the game ends. If all three of those are at their scoring, at their end game trigger, or two of them are at an end game trigger by one person that will say at that point in time, we'll be like end game is happening. We're going to finish the round and then that's it. So if one person is seven or more on the fleet track, one person is seven or more influence in the Institute and one person has seven or more of the helium, then those are the end game triggers. You will finish out the round at that point in time. You will then do all of the different totals and see who has the most points and uh it isn't the same player for each of those right it could be three different players have met it's three different one players of the, yeah. or if one player has two of them then you start the end game. okay so three different players each have one or any one player has any two of them at the same time there's one more way of getting points which is the sovereign token and this one if you have it at the end of the game it's worth 10 points but it's going to be flip-flopping around a bunch of times throughout the course of the game so in order to essentially make it worth something in the middle of the game each of the different players has those tokens the house tokens i said at the beginning of the game the house tiles are say that whenever you get the sovereign token you get a bonus whatever it is whether it's advance the fleet track or gaining a helium or banishing a card or whatever you have so you get to take each of those Mm -hmm. um and that is 
all of the ways of getting points. Again, you're going to try and negotiate your cards. So you'll have in your hand five cards and you'll say, hey, one of these is only scoring me two points. The other ones are scoring me 20 points. I should probably discard the one that's giving me two points and just try and get a little bit better. At one point in time, you will realize that all of the cards in your hand are worth like 30 or 40 points each. So there's no need for you to continue to discard cards. At that point in time, you can just take what's called a scout action. And when you scout, um, instead you reveal the top card of the deck and place it on any location and get that location's bonus. So then you're not discarding cards from your hand. Your hand stays the same high value it is, but you'll be able to get some of those additional endgame triggers because you'll be able to continue with the location bonus, get helium and get influence and fleet track stuff and things like that. Now then it's slower because usually when you deploy, you'll get something both from the deployability and from mm-hmm. the, what I'll call scout ability, but really from the location ability, the location bonus. So it's a little bit slower, but if you have a hand you really like and you don't want to mess with it and you're concerned someone else will pick it up, slower is better better than losing. Mm -hmm. So at one point in time, you'll just sort of do that. I think if you're doing that, you may be ending up with a more boring of a game at that point in time. But But it also means you're probably in the lead. Well, hopefully you're in the lead. What What can get funny is when everyone's saying, hey, I've got my five cards. There are no ways of getting more cards without having a discard. So we're all just going to scout until somebody has the end game trigger. Huh. Could it be that as you're doing the scouting, you reveal a card that, that maybe is better than one of the ones you have. And so then you decide to change it up. I mean, it could be. Okay. okay. Yeah. But if you're scouting, it's normally because you have already 30 to 40 and, hand between them many of the cards interact with the other ones like some of them say it's only it's worth 40 points if you have a gray card in hand so you're like well i can't get rid of the gray card otherwise i have to also get rid of this card so that would be two things i have to get rid of and maybe even more and then this and that and so it's mm, yeah yep and and you can't trade your gray card because when you discard the gray card you have to draw one of a different color correct you can't no, you have to draw one from a different location. Uh, you theoretically could draw another gray card, but there may not be any other gray cards out there. Gotcha. So the color is not the same as the location. Correct. Got it. Okay. Um, so I think that is the that is basically the gameplay. It sounds fun. It sounds interesting. It's, it's, it is interesting. It is not an overly complicated game. Um, I do enjoy well, it's not gin rummy. Um, but my wife has always liked a game called Minnesota Rummy, okay. um, which is a gin rummy variant that her family plays. Um, there's another game called Quiddler, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it, um, which is sort of like gin rummy also, but with words, yes. uh, where you're trying to negotiate. So you have a hand where you can make a word. And when you have that hand, you get to go down on it. So I like the rummy type of mechanic and i enjoy that and i enjoy being able to negotiate the cards now then what's interesting for me is that in minnesota rummy and gin rummy and um in quiddler the game is played of multiple rounds and each round you have a hand with this one the entire game is just one hand essentially and you're only going to be going down once and once you make one full hand 
I mean, the game isn't even over because you may have to scout to be able to get some of those endgame tokens, but it's only one. And the hand is only five cards long. Big. Wide. Wide? (laughs) Yeah. There's only five cards in your hand when you start. Now, there are some cards in the deck which lets you get extra cards into your hand rather than just swapping. So you may go up to six and seven, but in all reality, you can't go too big. You, you're, for every card above seven that you have at the end of the game, you lose 10 points. So if you get an eighth card, you better make sure that you really want that eighth card because it's trying to encourage you to get less cards that synergize tightly. That You can really maximize that 30 and 40 point scores per card. Mm, okay. That's interesting. And it's, a, it's about an hour to play the game. From what I'm reading, 45 minutes Ish. an hour. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit longer when you're playing with y- younger children who want okay. to read all of them. But yes, and if you, and the more people you have, the longer it would take. Also, and this supports up to six. Correct, one to six. So let me talk about some of my other gameplay points on the mm-hmm. game. Um, I enjoy that push and pull of the cards because a card commonly really wants to help itself you're kind of always having to do this. Well, I don't, I, I want to play the card, but on the other one, I want to play the card and hold the card at the same time. And it means that there's drama to those decisions. You're not sure if that's going to help you or hurt you by playing a card, but you want to do it at the same time. Just sort of hope you can pick it back up and use it again. And it sort of leaves you on the edge for the game. If you're playing it that way, if you're playing it completely safe, which across five cards is hard to do. Um, You don't have, you just don't have enough cards to be able to, to play it safe. You have to kind of take those risks and that adds drama and tension Mm -hmm. and race to the game. The, the different tracks. Well, there's 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 a lot of variability to the game because there's a whole big deck of cards. Now, I know that some other people have mentioned that there's a concern for the deck of cards because you sometimes want to, for example, some of the cards say you want to have a pink. And no pinks may come up. Well, there's ways of solving that because the gray ones for their endgame one can stand in as a pink in addition to whatever else they do. And then if you're looking for a specific type of thing, like let's say you want one that specifically wants the card Cassius, well, there's orange cards, and the orange cards all let you say that, hey, this counts as a Cassius. So there's ways of getting around those kind of problems, and I think that adding those in really helps you retain that variability and bigger deck structure of the main card, while still giving you some things you can fall back on and still make interesting decisions about being able to push it. So I like all of that style. My concern with this is the five cards, because when you only have five cards, it didn't take me when I've played it that long to get into a situation where I say the lowest scoring card in my hand right now is 30 points. None of these other cards, if I were to pick it up right now, will get me more than 30. Maybe if I swapped around three out of five of my cards, I can get one of the cards up to 35. But I'll have to swap this card 
and this card and this card for that card, that card, and that card. Heavens <laughs> knows luck. if all of those are right. So I don't want to start playing that kind of risk to it. I maybe do one, but I'm at like 30 with all these. Maybe one of them's at like 20 or 25. Maybe. But all of them are at like 30. I don't know they want to play games. <laughs> so I'm ready to just start scouting. And with five, I've always felt that I get into that sort of ready to scout time way sooner than the game is done. Mm-hmm. And when you're playing Jin, when you're playing Quiddler, that's when the game ends. <laughs> right. I, I've, I've got what I want. Yay. When I get to this one, oh, <laughs> because now I have to scout, which means that I have to continue to read all the cards because maybe something will come up. Maybe it will be helpful to someone else. I have to keep track of what other people are doing. I mm-hmm. still have to find ways that maybe, because I know I'm going slower. So I know I'm getting less end game points than everyone else. Cause theoretically on average, they're going to be getting two advances on end game stuff. And I'm only getting one. So I know I'm going to be going slower than else. So I got to make sure it counts. I can make sure I'm not doing it for that long. Mm-hmm. So I got to keep track of what's going on there because maybe another card will come up that's about even. I can start doing an alternating and be like, I quote unquote have six in my hand. Or maybe a card comes up that lets me draw extra cards in my hand. So I have to continue reading. I have to remain aware. But I'm remaining completely aware and not doing diddly. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm drawing a card. I'm not, I'm not even drawing. I'm revealing a card and putting it somewhere. It's so boring yeah i really dislike the end game if you're if you're leading you're not adding you're playing a card from your hand and taking a card from the board and everybody's Mm -hmm. leading the pool of cards isn't changing the only way to change a pool of cards is by scouting right that's the only thing because when you lead you can take from the deck okay and there are other there are other events that also take from the deck okay so the the pool does change a fair fair amount enough that there are interesting things happening. It's not just the same cards of the whole course of the game. So you do see different things. It's not a whole lot unless someone's really trying to push or dig for something or is simply bored and wants to find more things and mix it up some or get some other benefit for drawing from the deck or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it it's not too huge of a thing. But on the other hand, like if you're scouting, it's just it's ugh, I don't like the end game. Yeah, that's interesting. but you also said you don't like that one happens too soon. So maybe it isn't really the end game. You're just mistiming the end game. Who knows? Something like that. It's it sounds like an interesting issue. Makes me want I, to play the game. <laughs> I have I have so I've played the game a fair number of times. And I will admit that some of the times have messed it up where there's this whole motif of seven. <laughs> All the endgame stuff is about mm-hmm. seven. So it's seven influence, seven helium, and seven car, uh, and seven on the fleet track. So I will admit that a fair number of times when I've set up the game, I've erroneously dealt seven <laughs> cards to everyone. There's no reason why I should be messing this up other than I'm playing from memory and not from the rules. And seven is drilled into my head, but it's five. It's five. It's five. It's five. It's not seven. It's five. And I'll tell you, I've messed this up and then I've sat down with rules and I've gone, it's five. It's five. It's five. And the next time I've done seven and I'm just a dingbat. 
but <laughs> it's five. I've done the same thing with Lord of the Rings. Yep. Nonetheless, I've enjoyed the game so much more with seven cards. Really? Because with seven cards, even though there's more difficulty of decisions because you have more cards in hand that you're trying to interplay, that means that I'm there's more cards that I'm trying to work on to get correct, which means that usually it's not by choice that I don't have a good hand. It's by I've run out of time and I don't have to scout. When I've played with seven, I very rarely scout. And usually until the last second, I'm trying to get as good as possible. And I'm much more stuck with looking at the board saying someone's going to end this game in like two more turns. Cause I'm looking around like everyone's almost done with helium. Like we're almost there. I need to maximize my cards as much as I can. It's not, I feel like I have maximized them. It's I need to do as well as I can. I enjoy that much more where it's not that I feel like I've gotten as good as I'm going to get. It's where I feel like I need to get as good as I'm going to get. And for me, that extra drumming and extra pacing makes the game better, but it's not the rules. (laughs) It's not the way you're supposed to play. In fact, there's a number of cards that break when you do that. And the, it didn't happen until the third time that I saw one card, which is like, it's worth 40 points. If you have more than seven cards on hand, I'm like, shoot, right. I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting that, I mean, you could fix it by taking a few of those cards out. Uh, I mean, or just pretending that they say plus two. Oh yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But for me, it's just much more enjoyable with that stress and tension. Now then I don't want to speak. I don't want to say, I know I'm harping on it a bit because I do enjoy everything that leads up to it. I enjoy all of the gin mechanics. I enjoy that hand management I'm trying to do it. And I enjoy playing through the game. I just don't enjoy the end of it. And I usually try and speed through that as much as I can. Okay. Gin, gin rummy is a fun game. And that mechanic is just it's a fun thing to play. It's re- it's not something that you necessarily have to concentrate on a lot. It's, it can be relaxing. It's just a good mm-hmm. good mechanic. Indeed. So simple. Play a card, draw a card. Indeed. And that's it's very similar to what you're doing here for most of the game is just play a card, draw a card. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, there's four discard piles. You play a card to one discard pile and draw from a different one. Where's the deck? Mm-hmm. I wish you had said that at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of, it kind of does with the lead. I, I know it's not big enough, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. It would be nice if it had introduced that. Yeah, <laughs> I find that so funny. All right, so tell us about the solo game. This has an automa in it. Yeah, it, it's there's an automa deck that you use for this one, and you are racing the automa to at the end of the game, be able to have more points than it. Um, the way it works is that there's going to be an automa where it takes, it essentially takes two automa turns in a row. Um, and it has a, it, it has essentially a deck of turn randomizer cards where you'll randomize what it does. So it's going to deploy a card to somewhere, gain a card, and then do some bonus action, which is 
usually just banishing a card or gaining a bonus towards one of the end game tracks. Um, and then you'll do that twice. So it gets to take two turns. And if you think that's unfair, the reason why it goes twice is because it doesn't care about what the cards are at all. The only thing it cares about is whether or not it's even or odd. At the beginning of the game, you will randomize um, an even or odd card. And when you do that, at the end of the game, which so you'll determine one of them is called matching. So if you deal the card as odd, so I mean odd cards are matching. At the end of the game, any matching cards, which are cards that have an even amount, give the automa six points. If there are non-matching ones, like odd cards, it gets three points. So you want to be somewhere aware of it and try and push it towards the non-matching to, as much as possible, reduce the points that it's going to be getting because it's going to be getting a lot more cards than you. It's going to get like 40 cards over the course of the game. I I say that to extreme, but it's going to get a lot more cards than you. I think it gets... Oh, that's right. It can get to 40, but it only is going to have... it's, It's only going to be allowed to use 20 of its best cards over the course of the game. <laughs> of the best cards, okay. But it's 20 of its best cards. Like, if I, I have had games go on where it's had a ton of cards in its deck that it then sorts through to get the highest possible points. You do not want that to happen. And is it scoring, like, a normal way where you're looking for combinations and all that? No, you're just scoring odd and even. Odd and even. That is the only thing it cares about. And then it also cares about the other the other endgame stuff, so like the fleet track, the helium tokens, the sovereign tokens, the influence. It does all those as normal, but everything on the face of the cards, it doesn't care about that at all. Neither for its turns, because it's for its turns, it's just using its automa randomization. And at the end of the game, it only cares about odd even, and that is it. So it is super simple to score its points. Mm-hmm. Um, it is super hard <laughs> to <laughs> to sit through it at the end. I've mentioned how I really dislike having to scout. I really dislike uh, having to scout and then give the automa two turns when I am doing diddly. <laughs> we mentioned before how on average with a human player, they're generally getting two, quote, advances towards the end game points. And so you better be catching up with them. It's even worse with the Automa. Because with the Automa, not only does it on average get two advances because there's two turns to get a bonus, it's also going to be drawing another two cards every single time. So it's going to be getting like six or nine points, or even worse, 12 points every time. Every time... Right, so where you scouted and you got only three points from a helium, it's getting like 20 or something points in a round. It stinks. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, you do. It's great. You know, I, I, don't dis- <laughs> I don't disagree with you because my frustrations with having to sit and scout at the end of the game with multiplayers is at least I know that they're not getting too many more points because they're still trying to work on their deck. And at least I know my deck's better than theirs. Theoretically, mm-hmm. when we're doing it with the Otoma, I know that they're getting better than me much quicker and much better than me. And if I'm not getting more positives, I'm doing bad, which is why 
I have not been able to beat this outside of normal from many other Stonemeyer games. So I, you know, <laughs> listen them out from many other Stonemeyer games that I have, I've been able to beat it on other difficulties. So like I've played my little scythe. I've played charter stone and between two castles. I can increase the difficulty with those. And I enjoy increasing the difficulty with those. But with this one, when I increase the difficulty with it, I, 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 I can't. I, like, then it's getting. It's really getting 20 per because the difficulty levels just change how much points it gets per card. And I'm sitting here being like, oh. I can't do anything. All I can do is slowly, slowly get more helium until we have enough helium to trigger the end game. Whoop, you do. And so you're playing at the stand. What is it? The the normal difficulty, and it goes up another four, four levels beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you got you got to you're gonna get a lot of play out of this game before you could beat that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm sorry. But yeah. That well, that sounds neat. It sounds. I like that. It's a real simple automa. I like that. Mm-hmm. Automa. Oh yeah, and, and that the scoring is easy. Nice. I would hate to have to to figure out all the math and find the twenty best cards by looking for combinations or whatever. The oh yeah, that it's a ton better than this. So the solo in between two cities had, That's or one of the versions of the solo, where you had to do complicated math and be like, okay, determine the best one for the solo player and do it. I don't want to figure out your turn and my turn. This one is not that. It doesn't care about any of that. It's just, it takes a card. It's just worth six points for it. But it's worth six freaking points every time. <laughs> Stop it. You would not like a coin game. Those coin games from GMT with the AIs, the, the AIs are more complicated than the human turns. <laughs> oh, no, I would not like And there's like three that. of them. You're playing against three AIs that are way more complicated than you are. <laughs> Yeah, no, I would not like that. <laughs> I, I much prefer it when it's nice and simple and easy. Like, this is how Automas are supposed to be designed. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why Morton is the gold standard for designing Automas. Morton takes what is great about the game and makes it great when you're playing solo. I think the problem with this one is that there is a flaw in the main game that has oh. become also great <laughs> in the solo game. Mm-hmm. So, so I wonder if it's your strategy. I wonder if there's something you need you to know, change. You know, it could be. Well, who knows? It could be. You know, not every game is for everyone. I'm, I, I know there are other people out there who will enjoy this one more than I do. I enjoy, and I keep coming back to it because I enjoy that gin mechanic. And it could be I keep coming back to it because I'm alternating between games with five cards and seven cards. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I enjoy that gin part. I enjoy looking being like, how can I optimize? Like Because with gin, it's really simple. You want to set or run. There's not a whole lot of that. But this one, you're like, I can get this one and then mess with here. Which one of these? But if I do this and this. So there's like... You have to have like a whole web. It makes you feel like you're in the crime scene movies with like a 
chart of all the different connections and things like that. And that's <laughs> great fun. I like that. I just don't like sitting there repetitively being like, I get a helium, your turn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I'm surprised they made the game last so long for, for that. Usually it seems like a lot of the games, a lot of Euro games these days will end just as start. Oh, I'm finally going to get this really great games over. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. Like if even if it had been like fives across the board, I didn't know why we had seven. I don't know why seven. Who's had seven? Whose idea was the seven across the board? Did maybe it should be books? that I should house really I'm not sure. But maybe it should be it I'm not sure why it's seven, but maybe it should yeah. be that I should house rule the other way and be like end game is when it's fives on any of them? On all of them? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And end the game faster. Oh well, yeah. That might work. Certainly something for me to think about. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think it is fun. I just can't give it I just can't give it a thumbs up for the number of times I've been sitting bored. I, I I'm giving it I'm giving it a neutral rating. I'm not giving it a down rating because I can't give it a down rating because I keep enjoying pulling it out and enjoying the beginning of the game. So I can't give it a thumbs down rating. I'm giving it a neutral <laughs> okay. rating. That's the, that's, well that that's works. Well Thank you, Julius. It sounds like a neat game. Uh, all your comments are really interesting. Um, like I said, I like Rummies. So here we go. <laughs> all righty, Albert. Well, thank you very much for coming out and chatting with me. And have a good night, everyone else. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.